just possibly going to be crying up here today. Well, thank God. Amen? Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Have you said thank you, Lord, today? Have you said that yet? Yes. You have? Okay, well, let's say it again. Thank you, Lord. Amen. All together. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Yes. You know, and uh, we, we don't say that just because it's Sunday, um, and we don't say that just because it's Thanksgiving coming up pretty soon. Uh, we should do that on a regular basis. And the one thing that, uh, that we will be doing this, this next week, I pray that most of you together with your families, you know, it's an American tradition. In some parts of the world, they don't know what Thanksgiving is because uh, it's basically just uh, what we've done here when people first started years ago when the first pilgrims came. They were thankful that they made it. The first, first ship back in the 1600s came out. They thank you. The first thing they did was had a Thanksgiving meal. And they thank God we made it. We landed where we wanted to land. And you brought us here. And, uh, and so after that, uh, once a year, they started celebrating with the Indians. And, of course, you know, the stories have been told in so many different ways. You almost forget what the truth is from the lie. And, uh, uh, however, the, the one thing that uh, has, has really come throughout the, all, these, all these years is that there was always a time of giving thanks to God. Not, it wasn't necessarily on the fourth Sunday or, excuse me, the fourth Thursday of November, uh, there was times that it was on the last Thursday of November, and, uh, and it was not until Abraham Lincoln Institute says, you know what, we're going to have it every fourth Thursday of November just to give thanks to God. This way you can have a Black Friday sales. No, no, that's not what he said. Uh, and and so, so we've been giving thanks to God. I, I pray that each one of you have been giving thanks to God on a regular basis, all right? Because an attitude of gratitude is what destroys all the negativity and everything else that you go without. If you thank God for what you have, instead of focusing on what you don't have. So, you know, this is, this is one of the things that, uh, that I pray that we can learn together. And uh, as we celebrated our Thanksgiving Appreciation Banquet for our firemen this last uh, Wednesday, which, by the way, thank you for being here. We had uh, quite a few people. Uh, it, I, I don't know if it was about the same or, you know, well participated in as last year, but, uh, but you know, uh, we, we weren't able to get up on a fire truck. They, of course, uh, every year I ask, and every, every year they give me the same answer. I always ask, can I drive your truck? And they said, no. Uh, you know, as a matter of fact, what they do is they did what you just did. They laugh. <laughs> uh, they, they, they do the same thing. That's exactly what they know. We can't let you drive the car. That's for your safety, not just our safety, but it's for your safety. Uh, but this last, week, this last week, we couldn't get on because of the rain, and that's probably what held some people back as well. But um, we are in the season of thanksgiving, of an gra- attitude of gratitude for our firefighters, our emergency personnel, those that are uh, in, in the war, uh, where, wherever they may be, fighting around the world. We, we are thankful for what God has given us. Uh, there was a time when thanksgiving was celebrated with the fast. And, you know, can you imagine, okay, this Thanksgiving, we're all going to gather around the table and we're not going to eat. <laughs> no, this is not what it's all about to, for us. But they would celebrate it with a fast instead of a, a feast as we do. And then they would have a feast, of course. And, and, and it's interesting that because as I've been looking at Scripture, you know, and going through the whole process of First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, well, even before then, you know, back in, in uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, and Romans, First, Second Corinthians, and, you know, as we've been going through all the New Testament, and, and God has always been on time. He's just always been right on time in just about everything that we've been going through. And, and we don't take the whole, you know, whole, all the whole book at once. I'll take some time on one verse, sometimes on ten verses, depending on what we're at. And it just so it's it is so amazing on how this verse that we're focusing on today just so happened to land on today. I didn't orchestrate it this way, but if you look at verse thirteen with me in Second uh, Thessalonians chapter two, verse thirteen says, "But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, 
brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Father, this letter that was written to the people in Thessalonica was a letter of encouragement. They were discouraged. Uh, Some were wondering if they had even lost their salvation. They were wondering if if you had already returned. And uh, they were wondering if the rapture in the end times was already here. And Paul just so uh, beautifully, not trying to develop a doctrine or theology, but trying to encourage uh, his beloved, those that he cared for and nurtured. And, and the very first thing he says after explaining to them that the day of the Lord has not happened, that these things must first take place before any of that. Uh, and after all of that, what Paul says, you know, I, I want to tell you something, people, that I thank God for you. And Father, I thank you that you've given us that attitude of gratitude. We thank each other. And uh, we thank you, God, for each other, that, that you've given us people that we can sharpen and hone with one another as iron sharpens iron, to encourage and lift up and pray and, and to just uh, be a part of a family. I thank you, Father, for your grace and your mercy. And so today, Father, I just pray that um, as we go through this season of Thanksgiving, that you help us to understand that we have much to be thankful for. Um, we're not looking at the things that we don't have, but looking at the things that we do have. So, Lord, I just thank you once again, I pray in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen. You know, I, I, could, I could probably stand up here and say, wow, you know, there aren't that many people here today. And I can focus on those that aren't here. But today, and as always, I focus on those of you who are here. Amen. And I thank God for you. Even for those that aren't here. Uh, some of those, I'm glad they're not. No, no. I'm thankful that they're not here. No, uh, not, I'm just kidding. I, I thank God for every person that's been through here. Some have been a challenge, and, and I've got to be honest, some have been a challenge, and that's, and that's good. It's helped me to develop my leadership style. And some have been very encouraging. Some have moved through, on, through here and moved on to different places. But, but I, I, I want to just focus. I, I remember years ago, uh, it was some young lady that was, uh, that, that I was up here kind of bemoaning the fact, you know, I don't even know if I want to be a pastor anymore. I don't know if I, you know, you can't get a lot of people in here. And, and she says, you know, Pastor, why don't you stop focusing on people that aren't here and focus on us that are here. <laughs> and, I, and I says, you know what? You're right. You're right. You're right, Renee. And uh, from that point forward, I started just focusing on the people that were here. And, you know, I just leave it all up to God. Amen. And, you know, and I thank God that it through uh, Facebook and through uh, YouTube. We also have other viewers and people that check in from time to time. I want to thank you as well. I appreciate you. You know who you are uh, and for, for checking in. If, if you are, just give a like. Uh, share this message with somebody because I want to encourage you today as to why it is that I personally am thankful, kind of like what Paul is. So uh, click, like, subscribe, and whatever else they tell you to do on YouTube. I've never done that before. Another thing that we don't do here, just so you know, we pray for the offering. All right? We do. We pray for the offering. We thank you. At the end of the year, we'll send you a, a, a letter of your donations, and if there's a discrepancy, please let us know. We'll fix it. And, uh, you know, if for whatever reason, it's, it, you know, and I give this challenge out every time, and, and I know I'm going to get our uh, treasures and people upset here at, at this point, but for whatever reason, if you really sense that you gave to a, a bad ministry or ministry that you don't want to, you know what, call us or write us a letter. You'll have to write us a letter, and we will refund you what you gave, but you can't put it on your taxes saying that you gave it, and we will refund you because we want your gift and your offering to honor 
God. Amen. And I, I won't come up here and preach to you. Well, we need to pay the lights. We need to do this. We, you know, uh, when it comes up in scripture, I'll teach on tithing. I'll teach on giving as to why it is, uh, you know, a, a good thing. It's a blessing for you more than anybody else. It's a blessing for you to be able to give on a sacrificial, regular basis. And so, but apart from that, I, I won't make up a sermon just so that you can, I can get you guys to give. This is a generous church, by the way. Uh, Pastor's Appreciation Day was, I, I was just blessed beyond measure uh, at your giving. It was just beautiful. Every Sunday, uh, you know, we, we have our lights on. God provides exactly what we need, when we need it. Uh, we don't worry about how God's going to take care of us because He always has. Amen? And he continues to. The last 23 years, it's exactly what he's done. He's given us, uh, I mean, there's been times where we've been really, really, really tight, but I don't believe, to be honest, and I'm not really too sure, don't hold me on this, but I don't believe we've ever finished in the red till we were under, or we had to do without. I mean, we've cut back some things, but God has always just given us our daily bread. And I want to thank God for you. Number one, in your outlines, I want to thank God, number one, for your participation. In everything that you've done, in attending, in writing, in calling, in encouraging, in giving, in serving. On February the 14th, we used to have a Valentine's Day banquet for husbands and wives and, and those that were, you know, and so what we've done, but we want to express our love to you for those of you that serve. And we want to give to you a banquet put on by my wife and I and giving you a, a just beautiful banquet that we can say thank you for your participation and what you've done this last year. And uh, it's, it, it always amazes me in many churches that there's, a, you know, say, for instance, if there's 100 people in the church, only, a, uh, only 20 people, 20% of the people actually do 80% of the work. The 80, other 80%, they, they don't just, uh, they don't participate as much. But here, you know, well, maybe because of the small numbers, m- mostly all of you, 80% of the people at least participate and are volunteers and give uh, in, in a, on a regular basis. I thank God for your participation for what you've been able to do and, and, and how you've been able just to, to bless not only me, but the rest of the members that are here. And I want you to know that when you're not here, it, it, it is. And I know that there's things that come up, but it does leave a void. But I want you to know you are sorely missed. We may not say it. We may not call you. We may not, you know, but we do miss you. And if I see you, I'll let you know that you're welcome. Uh, and uh, just don't make it happen. As some of you know, some some have done. But I thank God for your participation. Paul says this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord. You know, God has loved you. The Lord loves you. You're beloved. You are uh, you are just so in love. There is nothing that will separate you from the love of God. Nothing. Nothing on earth, nothing in heaven, not fear, not death, not anything on earth, not, nothing in the universe can separate you from that love of God. God loves you, and he loves you because you're his, and he chose you. We're going to see that here in just a little bit, but he chose you from the foundations of the world. And if he chose you and started to have this love relationship with you from, the, from that point in time, he's not going to get rid of you. You are his and he is yours. And he loves you. And we, we thank God for that. And this is what Paul says, you know, because God loves you. And I see it. The fact that you are here, you know, really just illustrates point number two. I thank God for your regeneration. Now, point number two says, you know, I, I not only thank God because you're participating, but because you're participating, the indications are more than likely that you're regenerated. You're born again. You're a new believer. You are a, a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. 
You know, and because you're participating on a regular basis, and I pray, and we try to get this across as much as possible, that I pray that you're participating not because you want to be saved or you want God to love you more. He cannot love you any more than he does already. God loves you so much. If you're his and you're genuinely his and you are chosen by God, number two, your generation, look what the rest of the verse says in Second. Thessalonians chapter 2 in verse 13, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits. Not, not an afterthought, not something that, oh, you know what? Yeah, okay, maybe, you know, he's trying pretty hard, so I'm going to go ahead and choose you. No, but as a first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. God chose you. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, this is not in your outlines, but we go through this verse quite a bit. And uh, those of you that have been with me for some time, you'll know that I'll share this with you. And here's where it's found. Even as he chose us in him before when? Foundations of the world. Now that blows my mind. That God would choose a sinner like me before the foundations of the world. And he's already factored in all the stupidity that I was going to commit. He says, I'm going to choose you anyways. Because I loved you. And you know, here's, here's the beauty behind this. Before the world was even created, before there was a foundation of anything to put the world on or lay the world on top of or extend it out in the, the universe, or have it suspended throughout all time and, and history, before any of that was put together, he had this love relationship with those that he chose. These are my people. These are the ones that I want you, Jesus, to go die for. I want you to go to this world and give your life for the people. And I'm giving them to you, Jesus. This is your bride. These are your people. These are the ones that I'm giving to you from the foundations of the world. We come to find this out in the sovereign election of God. God's sovereign election. God chooses. God elects. God predestines. And he does so from the very foundations of the world. As Paul tells us here, look at 2 Timothy, verse 1, uh, chapter 9. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Once again, this is before time even began. He chose us and he gave us a purpose and grace, which he has given us in Christ Jesus before time was. And so that so that you would know and, and, you know, this this concept of before time, as a matter of fact, in Revelation 13, this is probably not in your uh, on the outline, but it, it says here that that all who dwell on the earth. And he's talking about those that are going to be worshiping, um, worshiping the beast and those worshiping the Antichrist in Revelation 13 and all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world. So if these people that are worshiping the Antichrist, their name wasn't written in the book before the foundations of the world, that means that there is a book with your name on it. If you're chosen, your name was written there before the world even began. And it's interesting because those whose name is not in there are the ones that are going to be worshiping the Antichrist, are going to be the ones worshiping the beast, the false prophet, the image that is to be worshipped before the foundations of the world in the book of life, as a matter of fact, he, whose name was not written before the foundations of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. There is, a, a, there is an allotted number of people that God has predestined, has chosen, has set aside. And this is a concept that is difficult for people to grasp. 
It's hard for them to grasp because we'll, we'll talk about this as to why this understanding that, that you're chosen is important. Somebody asked me not long ago, they says, why, why do you want to teach this? And I go, well, because it's important. Number one, the Bible is filled with all these, uh, these, these verses about how you're chosen, how you're elect, how you're, you're, God has uh, sovereignly elected you from the very beginning, from the foundations of the world. You know, I, I skipped a bunch of verses at the beginning, but if we can go back to that on the, uh, on the screen. Uh, in John chapter 6, Paul is talking about how God has chosen you. But in John chapter 6, verse 37, Jesus is doing the same thing. And this is interesting because, see, this letter to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians and then 2 Thessalonians, which was written a few months later, this letter is believed to be one of Paul's first epistles written. So that would put this letter somewhere around 60 A.D. or 60 years after the birth of Christ. Jesus Christ died in 33 AD. So this is somewhat 30 years later. Paul is writing one of his first letters to Thessalonica. The book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John hadn't been written yet, are being written at that same time. And so what Paul is telling us is what John is, is telling us as well. And John heard this from Jesus Christ himself. Paul heard it from a revelation from Jesus. Jesus revealed the same truth to to Paul, because this was what he taught in John chapter 6. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Jesus says, I want you to be, the reason you need to know that you're chosen, and the reason you need to know that this is secure, that you're secure, the reason that you need to understand this is because you can't lose your salvation. If God has chosen you from the foundations of the world, how is it, and, and you're trying to say, well, there's going to be something that I do, and God probably doesn't know, and therefore I have to confess and let him know what I just did, then he's going to cast me out. No, you cannot lose your salvation if God has chosen you from the beginning of the world. And it's important to understand that. Because otherwise, you'll live defeated lives. You're going to try to work for your salvation. You're going to try to do all these things that are going to burn you out. They're going to wear you out trying to please God or man or the church or the pastor or whatever the case may be because you want to make sure that you're in. If you're chosen, if you're elect, if you're predestined, you're in. And this doctrine of sovereign election is so important. We need to understand that. You know, here's the thing. Most people understand that God does what he wants. God is in control. Most people understand that. It's, you know, you know, by God's grace. You know, we say that, if God permits. You know, we know that, you know, we can only do what God allows. We can only go if God permits. And we have this understanding of it. And then when we come to salvation, oh, no, no, that's my choice. You know, God had nothing to do with that. I have to give myself. God's already elected. Look at this next verse in John 6, 39 through 40. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. And so you have to ask, so when were they given to Jesus? From the foundations of the world. But raise it up on the last day, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him on the last day. You want to know what God's will is? The will of the Father? He wants his elect to look upon Jesus Christ and be saved. That's his will. People are searching, what is God's will? What should I do? How, who should I marry? Where should I work? Where should I move to? You, you know, you want to know God's will? Very simple. I'll share with you another one here in just a bit. Look to Jesus and be saved. That is God's will. Uh, uh, two more verses in John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. 
and I will raise him up on the last day. I think I mentioned this last week, that the word draw is a word that is used in, in Greek where Paul is dragged out of the temple, that he is dragged into prison, where it is a dragging, a, you know, just a pulling, a towing of a heavy weight. This word draw doesn't mean, oh, please come to me. He's not trying to appease to you or try to help you to, to like him. This word draw in Greek, ekleuo, is a word that is yanking out, that the Father has to literally yank you out of this world that you're married to, that you love, because the love of the Father is not in you, and God himself has to draw you out, pretty much kicking and screaming, but it's not kicking and screaming, because as he pulls you out of this mess, what he does is he gives you a new heart, and he gives you a new life. He gives you a new mind. He gives you a new desire. He gives you a new purpose. He gives you a new drawing of, of, of coming to him. And he desires for you to desire him. But he gives you that. He gives you the desires of your heart. He gives the desires of your heart. He gives them to you. He doesn't give you what you desire. That's how some people read that verse. No, he gives you the desires to have in your heart. Because what you're going to desire now are not the world, but you're going to desire God. You see, in the past, I desired the world. I wanted the world. I wanted everything that was in the world. I wanted to, to hold on to the world, the fame, the fortune, the pleasure, all these things that I wanted to, to you know, the prestige of being on top of the world, being number one in the company. Uh, and I wanted to sell as much as possible to be the best salesman, to win the prizes. And, the, you know, I'd get all the trophies and awards. And that's the love of the world because that's the only love I had. But the moment... God drew me out of that world. He gave me a new desire. And my desire now is to focus on Him. And the last verse in John 10, 27, it says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one. No one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. No one. Somebody once said to me, but, 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 but I can jump out, can I? He says, how big do you think the Father's hand is? <laughs> when he says no one, he means what? No yeah, there you go. That's just it. There I go, crackling again. <laughs> My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. How big do you think the Father's hand is? And no one is able to snatch him out of the Father's hand. You can't, you can't get people out of there. So I thank God for your regeneration because he saved you from the beginning of the world. And you know, when you understand your chosenness, when you understand your chosen one, number one, what it does is it crushes human pride. It crushes human pride. Let me explain that here after I read Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Okay? He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Not because of what you did, not because you came forward, not because you raised your hand, not because you go to church, not because you visit people in the hospital, not because you give money, not because of anything that you did. Nothing. And since you didn't do anything, God gets all the credit. Here's the, here's the point that I'm trying to make. There are those that believe that I have to raise my hand, I have to come forward, I have to profess, I have to confess, well, you know, I did this on such and such a day. I was such a sinner. I was so bad that I finally surrendered because, you know, I thought, you know, I might as well give God a chance. You know, I got nothing to lose. So I might, you know, I did it myself. And there's this arrogance, there's this pride, there's this ego that kind of wells up within a person thinking that they are the ones that did the saving. And there's this idea that, that you know, you have these, these two people. You have God that is going for you, that is voting for you. Uh, you know, I'm getting... 
I'm going to try to stay still. There's a God who is voting for you. And then there's, yeah, you guys are laughing. <laughs> yeah, right. There's God who is voting for you. And then there's Satan that is voting for you. And they both want you. And it's up to you to throw the deciding vote. And they're both up there going, come on, come on, come on. Pick me, pick me, please, pretty please. And they're both giving you everything that they can to cause you to choose one or the other. And most of the time people say, well, I'm not going to choose anything. Well, you've already chosen not God. If you, chose, if you choose not God according to this idea, then, you know, you're, you're already done. But see, what God does is he draws you, he yanks you, and it crushes human pride. It's not what you did, it's what he did. As a matter of fact, you know that the Jewish people, the, one of the greatest people in, in the nation, that, that from the very beginning, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7, it says, uh, It was not because you were more in number than any of the other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all People, you know how many people there were in the Jewish nation when it first started? One, Abraham, Abraham and Sarah and then Isaac and then Jacob and Esau. And, and, then, and then from there, it just went on. And through one person, he didn't choose you because you were the greatest. He didn't choose you because you were the smartest. He didn't choose you because you were the best looking. He didn't choose you because of what you did. And beloved, that ought to just crush your pride. And, you know, people just do not like that. No, no, I get to choose. No, no, and and they they fight every verse that says God chose you, God chose you, God chose you, God predestined you, God elected you. You know, and, and they fight every. You know, well, that can't, it can't mean that. I, I am not going to stand here and tell you, well, you know, this God doesn't mean that, <laughs> or this is what He really means. Really, like I, I don't have the mind of God. Number two, what what understanding what being chosen it does is it praises God. It exalts God. It focuses on God. It glorifies God, not you. And it praises God. Look at Psalm 115, verse 1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. And it's not to us, Lord, but it's to God. Now, the third thing that it does is it produces joy. It produces joy in the believer's heart. When you know that you've been chosen, then I mean, you have no other resource but to be excited and joyful God chose me really you know it's kind of like the best Christmas present ever that I've ever gotten you know it's Jesus's birthday but I get the greatest present ever I get the joy of the Lord it's my strength it's like when you were in grade school remember and and they were trying to pick for teams and you you were hardly ever picked and you know that just made you sad until one day you know maybe somebody picked you yeah you know how excited you got because they picked you or, well, they never picked me either, so I, I don't know what that feels like. But anyways, I know what it feels like to get chosen by God. <laughs> and that is so exciting. And it brings joy. First Peter 1.6 says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. There's things that are, you're going to go through, but you are to rejoice in the life that you have with God Himself because He chose you. Uh, a fourth thing is that it provides security. And this is what Paul is trying to get across. It provides security. You don't have to worry about your eternal destination. Look at this next verse. In Philippians 1.6. And I am sure, he tells the people in Philippi, I am sure that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. You know what? Everything that God starts, he finishes. And he who began... A good work in you. He, who is this? God. God who began what? The salvation work in you. He's going to see it to completion. All the way to the end. 
all the way to the point where you're standing before Jesus and then you're going to see, okay, okay, Lord, I can see it now. But this world is just beating you up. And this world is clamoring for your attention because you used to love this world. You were married to this world. You were so involved in this world and all that stuff is still there. And it pops up from time to time. And, and if you take your eyes off of Jesus and you look at the world, you know, it'll draw you to the, itself. And you will fall into temptation and you will fall into sin because of your eyes. Does that mean that you lose your salvation? No. Like I said, God factored in all my stupidity before he even saved me. He knew that and, still, and he still chose me. And he knew where I was going to fall. He knew where I was going to sin. And I repent. I re, re, uh, refocus and regroup. You know, one, one, of, the, one of the most, I, I would say it's a very sad statement, you know, because I, I don't really know exactly what it is that I do, you know, except for preach the gospel and share with people. But one of the, one of the hardest things to hear sometimes is, and people have said this to me quite often, well, you think you're all perfect, don't you? You think you're so perfect, don't you? You know, and I have to step back and say, look, you know, I don't know what I said or did to make you think that I'm perfect. I'm not. And I always go back to I'm a sinner. I'm a vile, wretched sinner. I, I have I am. This is why I need Jesus every day, not just, you know, 23 years ago when I committed my life to Christ or 33 years ago. Excuse me. You know, not 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 just then. I need Jesus every single day. I I. I repent of my sin and I move forward because I am a sinner. And if I ever gave the illusion that I'm perfect, please forgive me because that is not my intent. My intent, and I know what it is sometimes, it's the gospel message that penetrates people's hearts. And I'm trying to point out sin and right away, you know, they get all defensive. Well, what about you? <laughs> you do this, you do that. You know, says, I'm, you know, I'm just as guilty, you know. But one thing that Jesus Christ promised, one thing that God promises here is that Paul is telling them, Whatever God started, he's going to see it to completion. He's going to see it all the way through. And, and the, the, fourth, the last part is, you know, and there's a lot of the benefits of understanding your election and sovereign election. It promotes holiness. It promotes holiness. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. What the grace of God has done is it appeared and it is now here bringing people into salvation and training us. You're not mature automatically. This is a growing process. This is a discipleship process. This is a process that you go through and you go through it on a regular basis. And sometimes for some people they can catch on to it right away. Other times you have to be intentional about this. You have to be intentional about reading your Bible. You have to be intentional about studying the Word. You have to be intentional about praying. You have to be intentional about witnessing, of serving, of giving. You have to be intentional. You have to understand how much you're going to give. You know, if if 10% is, is the norm, well, I'll give 10%. If it, you know, and you know, we stopped giving 10% a long time ago. You know, we we're way above and beyond that because we've come to realize that you cannot outgive God. <laughs> the more you give, the more it seems to just blossom I, I you know that's that's a god thing i don't know how that happens but it does you know you'll understand you'll you'll be intentional intentional about your service and why you serve and how you serve and you grow in those things and so the grace of god has appeared uh bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in this present age this present age now, Paul's present age was pretty bad. But you know what? If he was here today, he'd say, yeah, the same thing. 
The same thing about all this woke nonsense and all this transgenderism and all this stuff that it just seems to be coming. You know, you can live godly lives in all this. And many of you are doing that. And that's what understanding your chosenness, your, God's election, the sovereign election, it, it, it promotes holiness within your life. You want to, you desire to know more about Jesus Christ. Back to your outlines, number three. I thank God for your sanctification. I thank God for your participation. I thank God for your regeneration. You're a new creation. God chose you. He gave you a new heart. He gave you a new mind, a new purpose, a new desire. And now I thank God for your sanctification. And Paul says, through, the, through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. First of all, the truth is the Word of God. Amen? The, the truth is God's Word. And the Word became flesh. And the Word is Jesus Christ. So, any time that you encounter truth, you've encountered a person. Every time you see truth in Scripture, it's not just a philosophy or a thought or an idea. It is a person. When the Bible says that Jesus Christ created all, by Him all things were created, by Him and for Him, you will know that that's truth and everything that's created was created by Jesus Christ. And you can always just use that and tell the scientists and the paleontologists and the archaeologists, I'm sorry, but Jesus Christ created all this. Oh, but He wasn't born until Christmas. How do you do that? Well, see, here's, that's, a good, that's a good question. Let me share something with you. Let me show you the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of God. Sanctification. It's a big word. I thank God for your sanctification. And you're saying, oh, do I got that? Where did I get that at? Did you pass those out the day I wasn't here? You know, where's mine? (laughs) Where's mine sanctification? Sanctification is the process of being made holy. To be sanctified. To be set apart. And you are set apart today here. Set apart for the honor and glory of God himself, Jesus Christ, and uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because this sanctification, you can't do it on your own. You know, I can change, I can do this, I can do, you know, no. This sanctification, removing you from the world and placing you uh, in, in, in the body of Christ and your growth in the body of Christ is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not to speak in tongues or heal people, raise people from the dead or whatever else they, they, they try to say that this does. The power of the Holy Spirit gives you the power to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions. It gives you the power to live this God. You cannot live this life on your own. And you know what I'm talking about. You've tried this. You've tried this and you cannot do it. It's by the power of the Spirit. And the sanctification process is being set aside. That's what it is. Being separated from the world and sanctified or set to a point where you are a saint. Not perfect, because none of us are going to be perfect. Not to be pure. We strive for perfection. We strive for purity. But that does not mean, saint, sainthood is, that doesn't mean that you're pure or perfect. Sainthood means that you're set apart. And it's unfortunate that those uh, of some faiths, they have named certain people, certain uh, disciples, even certain popes and uh, workers, they name them saints. As if, you know, the only way you can get there is if you do ABC, the three things that you have to do, and then you're considered a saint. And that's only for those that are elevated to this high sainthood. No. Everybody that commits their life to Christ is automatically set apart. And now you're going through this process of sanctification. See, you got to be born again first. And now, until the day that you leave this planet, you're going through this sanctification process. Is this making sense? You got glorification, excuse me. Regeneration, sanctification, this process that God is working through you. As a matter of fact, John 17, 17, 
Jesus' prayer right before he was crucified. He said, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And if we remember correctly, John 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh. So Jesus is saying, sanctify them in your truth. Your Word is truth. Set them apart by the power of the Holy Spirit on what Jesus is going to do on the cross. Sanctify them. Set them apart. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And we are now being transformed from one degree to the next. And it's not like 10 feet. For some people, they dive right in and boom, they grow. And it's very evident and what they used to be. And then from that point forward, you're growing and you're growing and you're growing. You must be growing. Because only live, regenerated people grow. Dead people don't. They don't. And they, they continue to stay dead. But you are growing, and you're growing from one degree of glory to another. And that should be our goal for uh, 2024. Which is, well, you know what, I, I, I'm willing to say that that's kind of where we're going to end up at. I haven't even looked that far ahead yet uh, as to how we're going to part this out for the rest of the year. Uh, Romans 12, 2 tells us, do not be conformed to the, this world because you've been taken out of this world. You're no longer in the world. You're now under grace. You're under in the body of Christ. So do not be conformed. Do not let the world squish you into its mold. Do not let it cause you to be like everyone else. Well, everybody else is doing it. Well, it doesn't mean it's right. And so the, the, the word holy comes from the word sanctification. Holy is to be sanctified or set apart. Holy is uncommon. And most of the times what we say is, well, it's common sense. In other words, we're saying it's unholy sense. Holy and common are opposite. Holy is set apart, is uncommon, where unholy is common, just like everybody else. And you're called to be holy, not unholy. You're called to be separate, different, not common. You're called to be a different type of people. And so Jesus, Paul says, do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And this is something that takes place within the mind. It's a spiritual thing. Jesus Christ uh, gives you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads you, and He, the Holy Spirit causes you to change the way you think. This is why reading the Bible, coming to Bible studies, doing Bible studies, memorization, it's all part of what the, Bible, what the Holy Spirit is doing in your mind. And He's regenerating your mind. He's transforming your mind. He's causing you to think differently. God gives you a new mind. You know, when I first got saved, I thought I was so burnt out I couldn't do anything. I, was, you know, I couldn't think straight. I couldn't do anything. But, you know, by the grace of God, I, I don't know. It's, it was just one of those things that, that God did. And I give glory to God for that. Amen. And I see that happening to many of you as well. Philippians 3.12 says, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me His own. This is probably one of Paul's last letters. He's in prison. And he's telling the people in Philippi, You know, I'm, I'm telling you to walk this way. I'm telling you to do these things. I'm sharing these, this, you know, but don't look at me. I'm not perfect. You know, not that I have already obtained this. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not already perfect, no. But... I press on, even in prison. 
I press on. I'm dying. I'm going to be beheaded for the Lord, but I'm still pressing on. I, I want to perfect this faith that Jesus Christ has given me. And I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. He made me his. I want to be his. And I'm going to press on and press on because I'm not perfect here. I'm not there yet. And that's one thing you can take away from today. You're not there. there. Thank God that, that he's given you the life that he's given you and the extended your years up to this point so that you can grow more and more into his likeness. Amen? 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, Paul says, For this is the will of God. What's God's will? This is the will of God. What is it? Is it up there? Oh, <laughs> that's all right. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 4.3. You want to know what God's will is? There you go. God, you know, people say, what do, what do I do? What's God's will for my life? How do I grow? How do, well, first of all, God wants you to be saved, number one. He wants you to look upon Jesus and be saved. Number two, he wants you to be set apart. That is his will. Yeah, but where do I work? What do I do? Get, your, get yourself out of the world. Get yourself out of what everybody else is thinking. But I want to, you know, fall in love and live happily ever after. You know, that's a Cinderella story. You've been watching too much TV, too many Disney movies. Come on. Focus, focus on God, get out of the world, and set yourself apart, and get saved, and be sanctified. Let the Holy Spirit work in your life. And you know what? God will send the right person at just the right time. Not until you're ready. But you know what we do? We see somebody, oh, that must be God's will. Oh, they like me. Hey, they go to church. They say they go to church. You know, they, they say they've gone to church or, you know, they're, they're saying they want, they're thinking about going to church. You know, okay, well, you know, maybe they don't want to go to, that's what it was. They don't want to go to church, but still they got the word church in there and that must be God's will. That's how people rationalize it. I didn't say I wanted to go to church. I said, I didn't want anything to do with church. Oh, I thought you wanted to do everything. Oh, that's okay. I still love you anyways. Let's get married and let's have babies and wah, I can't believe you don't love Jesus. I can't believe you don't love me. I can't. You know, God, you messed up. And they blame God. I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. Yeah, I don't know who you're praying to, but I kept telling you, no, you need to set yourself apart and get away from the world. What'd you do? You went straight into the world to find the one person that I told you not to find. Your sanctification, you know, and, and so people work at different jobs. Well, I prayed and prayed and prayed and asked God to give me a job. Well, well, now, you know, I'm sorry I can't go to work anymore because God gave me this job and it just so happens to be on Sundays, you know. What am I? I can't. I have to go to work, you know, because God gave me this job and I have to be good. You know, we pray and pray and pray because we're praying with our mind in the world. We, we pray about our school, our education, moving. You know, I really wanted this house. It was a beautiful house. And, you know, I could afford it then, but I can't afford it now. You know, I'm praying and praying and praying. I thought God, you know, God said, I told God I wanted this house and he let me have it. The doors opened up and boom, there it is. And, you know, now I'm in debt. You know, what am I? it's God's fault. He gave it to me. You see, what, what God does is he, he says to you, number one, be saved. Number two, get sanctified. That's his will. But I want to know God's will. Well, there it is. That's two of at least four or five different, uh, we've been through this before, four or five different steps that we look at God's will. God wants you to be saved. God, God's, God wants you to serve. His desire is to serve. God wants you to suffer. That's God's will. That's part of God's will of suffering. And so when we look for God and we look to God, and, you know, I've been through the Internet and I've looked for various types of, you know, what, how to find God's will. And people have, you know, four steps, six steps, 12 steps on finding God's will. And, you know, most of them start off 
right? You, you start out, you pray. Yes, God, okay, what is your will? And then, you know, they, they go through all these, I don't know, models and things, you know. The Bible's clear. God wants you to be saved. Number two, he wants you to be sanctified. That is his will. Um, in 1 Peter 1, 14, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your con- conduct. And I kind of went over that just a little bit ago. And uh, sharing with you on holiness, set apart. Kind of jumped the gun on that one. Number four, I thank God for your glorification. I thank God for your participation. I thank God for your regeneration. I thank God for your sanctification. I thank God for your glorification. What does that mean, Pastor? What do you mean by glorification? You know, it's interesting. Turn with me to Romans. I'm trying to move slowly here. (laughs) Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Okay? Romans chapter 8. It's very simple to find because it's right next to chapter 7. Romans Romans chapter 8. Okay. And we're going to start in verse uh, 29. And, and, and this is what we've called, and we've, I've shared this with you before, and this is what we call the golden chain of salvation. This is how it works, and, and I'm sure it's going to be up on the board as well. And this is, this is not in any of my notes. Because this glorification has to do with your salvation. It has to do with the things that, you, that, that you're going through even now. Your regeneration, your sanctification, and your glorification. And we look at it this way. Salvation past, I was saved. Salvation present, I'm being saved. Salvation future, I'm going to be saved. I'm going to be saved out of this world. I'm being saved right now from this world. I was saved and brought into a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's my regeneration. I was born again, brand new, dragged out of the world, brought into the, uh, brought into the body of Christ. New mind, new purpose, new desire, new will. Sanctification, the process that I'm going through to get rid of all this stuff that I've acquired over the last 65 years and, and I'm still trying to get rid of stuff and stuff. You know, God is constantly putting me through this one degree to the next of sanctification of glory, and, and glorification is the moment that we are in the presence of God. And I'm saved out of this plan. I'm done with all the struggles of this world is the glorification. And Paul puts it this way, going in verse 28, Romans 8:28. I'm sorry, Romans 8:29. For those whom he foreknew, once again, God knew you from the foundations of the world. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. His whole purpose of saving you is to be conformed, is to be like his son, Jesus Christ, is to be transformed, is to be sanctified and to be brought up and becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Your goal in life is to become like Jesus. Well, what was Jesus like? Good question. That's why you need to read your Bible. What did Jesus do? What did Jesus say? What did, he, what did he say to do? What did he say not to do? You're not, you're not going to be able to raise anybody from the dead. You're not going to be able to uh, you know, heal people that have no legs or no arms. You're not going to be able to you know, do any of those things. But you can, be with, you can be like him in his attitude, in his character. He was humble. You know what's even more powerful than raising somebody from the dead? Is when you're humble. When somebody insults you and you turn the other cheek. When somebody uh, wants to you know, take everything away from you and uh, you give it to them. When somebody crucifies you and you say, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. That's the power of Jesus Christ. Is to be like my son, is what what Paul is saying that God has said to us. For those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. That firstborn again. 
Now look at this. And those whom he predestined, he also called. All right, so if he predestined you, then he called you, he saved you. And those he saved or called, he also justified. In other words, he made you just if he, as if you'd never sinned. You're justified. That sin is not going to, this that's just to keep you guys awake, okay? That's why I crackled. Uh, those are my bones, by the way, I just found out. Um, and those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also what? Glorified. It's interesting, Paul's saying this to the people in Rome, and he's using it in a past tense. Every one of those. You're already glorified. You're not in the presence of God yet. And glorification comes the way Jesus Christ was glorified as he ascended into heaven. To the, he told the women, remember when he, when he uh, rose erected from the dead, and they saw him, and he says, don't touch me, I haven't been glorified yet. I haven't been there yet. I've, it's, don't, don't, don't touch me yet. And there's this, this, this process that we go through when we get to heaven where we're going to be glorified. We're going to be just like Jesus. And I thank God for your glorification because your salvation, your regeneration has started this process of sanctification that you are growing to, that you will be one day glorified in the presence of God. He says in verse 14 of 2 Thessalonians 2, 14, to this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. The, the glory that Paul desires is the glory that I desire for you, that you become more like him, that you recognize that, yes, nothing in this world can ever hurt you. As a matter of fact, it should make you stronger and better. And he's talking about the gospel of God, not his gospel. It's not something that he invented. He's only talking about what God has showed him. Uh, in 2 Thessalonians 1.12, he said this, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, in 1 John 3.2, he says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. You're God's children now. Now that you've been regenerated, now that you're being sanctified, you are God's children. But what is to be has not, has not been yet, and what will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And Romans 8, 29, I just read that verse ahead of time. So in, in Philippians 3, verses 20 and 21, Paul starts off by saying, but our citizenship is in heaven, and, and, and from it, he goes on to say in your outlines, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to the subjects of all things to himself. This glorification is coming to you, to those, and I thank God for you for that. I thank God for, I thank God for that glorification that you have. Because, see, together, when we understand that we have been regenerated, when we understand that we have been sanctified, we understand that we have been glorified, and all this is in our, in our midst within us, then nothing can stop us. This is why we keep going. And we start off, we go back to the beginning where this is how your participation is, uh, you, get, you get involved. And, and that's the indication of these three things, these other three things we just talked about, is the participation that you partake of in what the things that you do in whatever manner you can. You know, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul says to the people, says, you know, we're going to be glorified, okay? We're not going to be eradicated. We're not going to be, the wrath of God is not upon you. You're not, gonna, you're not going to witness that. And only those that are not His are going to experience that. Paul says, and, I, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. There is a wrath coming. But because of your regeneration, sanctification, glorification, 
He's going to deliver you. In uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.9, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of your generation, your, your uh, sanctification, and your glorification, God has not destined you for wrath. You have been set apart. You've been chosen. And, uh, and because He chose you, He has set you apart. You will not experience that wrath that is to come. But you know what? You know people that might. And so our responsibility is through the sanctification process, the process that we're living through right now, through that process, we need to share with them what Jesus Christ has done for you and how it is that you are going to uh, not experience that and how they too will not be able to experience that as well. Share the gospel message and let God wake them up. And if God doesn't wake them up at that time, share with them again. It just might not be their time and share with them again. And share with them again and keep moving and share with other people as well. Because that wrath of God is coming. And I pray and I thank God for your glorification that you will not have to experience that. Let me ask you to stand. I thank God for you. Amen. I thank God for what he has done in you and and how I see it happening. One of the things that uh, you may not be able to see is your own growth. You won't see it. You know, I was growing and growing. You know, I thought I was, I thought I was a certain height. And then I checked myself just recently, and, and I found out I shrunk. <laughs> I shrunk. Uh, yeah, I'm, so, yeah I'm, I'm discouraged. That's really depressing. <laughs> and I never noticed it. Check yourself, okay? Spiritually. I don't want you to be shrinking spiritually. I want you to grow spiritually. It's too late for that, huh? <laughs> Physically, yes, it's too late for me. But spiritually, you can continue to grow. You know, Paul was in prison, and he's telling the people in Philippi, he who began a good work in you, he's going to see it to completion. And then he says, not that I've already obtained it all, you know, but I press on. Even in these chains, I press on. Press on, beloved, press on. Amen. We have a beautiful celebration coming up, you know, with Thanksgiving and the holidays and Christmas and New Year's. And, and, you know, God has just blessed you beyond measure. And no telling how many more of those that we're going to have. No telling. We don't know. Love your family. Enjoy your family. Share the gospel with your family. Share time with them. Encourage them. Love them. Thank you, Father, once again for just the promises that you give us. We know that the time is short. Uh, even, even if it was 80, 100 years, your word says it is but, it's but a vapor. It's but a vapor in the span of eternity. So thank you, Lord, for giving us this opportunity to, to be reminded. And we pray, Father, also for our, our own uh, regeneration. We thank you for that, Lord, and our sanctification and our glorification. And so, Lord, we pray that you continue just to show us where it is that we need to grow, things we need to get rid of, and how it is that we need to move forward with. So, Lord, once again, we just thank you for all things. As we share this Thanksgiving week with our family and friends, help us to remember you at all times, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone says, Amen. Amen. Stick around.